Hi there and welcome to the Book Realities Podcast, a series of interviews with independently minded authors where we explore their books, their writing techniques, and what made them become a writer in the first place. I'm your host, Ian Hooper, and as well as being an independent author, I also run the Book Reality Experience. Hi everybody and welcome to Book Realities, our series of interviews with authors, usually. I say usually because we also do interviews with the people who we need to be able to make a book complete. That includes illustrators and today an editor, Alex Quam. Thanks very much for joining us, Alex. How are you? Thanks for having me. I am very good today. It's a lovely, fine, sunny day here in Queensland. Fantastic. So for people that don't know, do you want to tell us where you are in the world and all about yourself? <laughs> um, yeah, so I am in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. So the other side of the country to where Book Reality is based. Um, I edit as my side hustle. So my full time job is as a public servant. Um, I have five kids, one husband, two dogs. It is a very full life. Excellent stuff. Five kids, which I should mention that your fifth one, you had in the middle of doing a book edit for us, which I was so impressed with that you continue to do the editing and you finished the editing. Then you nipped in, had a fifth child. Then you came back out and did the final proofread, which was some dedication to it. I'm very impressed. Yes. Well, you know, the editing was the easy part for that particular period. (laughs) (laughs) So what got you into editing? You say it's a side hustle, but you you are a member of the International Professional Editors Association, if I've got that title. Uh, Institute of Professional Institute. Editors. So that's an Australian um, professional body. Um, it is very cliche. I used to read a lot when I was a kid. Loved the reading. I am not creative enough to write my own words. So um, I like to just sort of get in and help authors make their work better so I kind of actually did a stint in medical engineering for a while before I took on accounting and human movement studies fell into my public service job um, and then finally decided that I was actually going to do something with this editing and found a course that I could do uh, which was the Masters of Publishing and Editing at USQ um, and just kind of went to it from there. So when you said that you weren't creative enough to make your own words you yeah. do still have to be kind of creative to be an editor, don't you? Yeah, you do. But um, it is much easier to come along after someone has done the hard graft of actually creating the, the main part of the story. So that's the same I find in technical fiction, whatever. If someone else puts the first draft down, it's much easier to come along behind and help clean it up or find ways to improve it than it is to be that person to lay that first draft down. Okay, so when did you decide to start doing this? When did you decide to go and do the course that you mentioned? Uh, It was probably 2015, maybe. I started looking into it. 2016, I started actually doing the course um, and it was, I was pregnant with my fourth child and I wanted something that I could do while I was off work. Um, And so editing seemed to be something that fit the bill. Turns out I was quite good at it, so it was also fun for me to do. Um, Eventually, maybe it'll be my main hustle, but for now, the government funding is quite well appreciated. 
So what was the actual course for anybody that's wanting to get into it? What's the, I mean, you've mentioned it, but what's the real detail behind it and how long did it last? Um, so the one that I did is the Master of Publishing and Editing at University of Southern Queensland. It is an online course, I think full-time. It's 18 months maybe. Don't quote me on that. It's a little while since I finished it. The man who runs that course is Dr. Dallas Baker. He is phenomenal. Um, and a lot of his students go on to get their PhDs. They work in editing. Um, it's a really good hands-on course, and it looks at not just the mechanics of editing, but also how publishing works as well. Um, I found it um, just trolling online because I didn't want to do a course that I had to go on campus to do. Um, and there was the USQ one was available at the time, and I think one maybe in Melbourne, but I'd already done some units through USQ previously, so I knew that it was a good school for me. Very good. And you say about the mechanics of editing. So we're going to come to your favourite genres and what you like working with, etc. But yeah. just going to those mechanics. Yeah. What do you like to do as an editor? Are you an invasive editor? Are you an advisory editor? Do you get in there and change things and tell the, edit, tell the author, this is it, this is what you should write? Or how, how do you actually do this? Um, I am more of a suggestive editor. So usually I tell my authors that whatever changes I make, like I track everything. So whatever changes I make are suggestions because it's the author's work. It's not my work. My job is to be invisible and make their work still look and sound like them, but just the best version of them they can be. Kind of like when you get your makeup done before you go to a ball or something or your hair, whatever. <laughs> um, so I will make suggestions, but it's the author's choice as to whether or not they will take those suggestions on in the end. Do you ever come up against authors who are absolutely opposed to any edit that you want to do? Yeah, generally they're not opposed to any and every edit, but there are some who are very... Um, let's say emotionally connected to their work, which I totally understand. You spend a lot of time putting, you know, writing this down, loving it, nurturing it, growing it into the manuscript that I receive. And it can be quite difficult to let go and have someone say, well, actually you could have done this better or differently and it would have had a better um, impact. So I understand that. But at the end of the day, if they, I mean, they're paying for my service, but if they don't want to implement the changes that I'm suggesting, that's their choice. And is there ever a disastrous one where you just have to hold your hands up and say, I'm out here, I'm done, because there's there's no point in me actually suggesting you're not listening? Uh, I don't think it's ever quite reached that point for me. Um, usually, if they don't want to change the big things, and mostly I copy edits, so there's not usually hugely big things for them to change but if they don't want to change things that um, to me are glaringly obvious errors that will take the reader out of the manuscript I can't do anything about that but usually they are happy to take on some of the you know the technical things so your spelling your grammar consistency of spelling that kind of thing usually those things they will appreciate even if not the bigger things and on the plus side I'm assuming that there are authors who hang on your every suggestion and do everything that you do suggest and work with you in a collaborative nature, which is a yeah. joy. Yeah, and they are my favourite authors to work with. Um, 
some of them have come through book reality, so they know who they are. <laughs> um, but no, those ones, they are really wonderful to work with. Sometimes even those ones, though, I wish they would step back a little bit and go, oh, actually, no, I think it should go this way because X, Y, Z. Um, I have a lot of them say to me, oh, you're the professional. You know what you're doing. I'm not going to question anything that you suggest. But editing is subjective. So language is subjective. And if the way that I have interpreted something is not how the author had meant for it to be interpreted, then they need to um, own that and make sure that the finished work is reflecting of what they want it to reflect, not what I want it to sound like. So even the ones that are beautiful to work with, sometimes I wish they'd just kind of go, you know what, just that's not how I want it. So the key to this is two-way. This is, it has to be a two-way collaborative process. Absolutely. Do you have to like the author? Do you think that works? I think it's easier if you like each other, but you don't have to like each other to have a very effective working relationship. As long as you respect each other, I think that's the key. And with regards to genres, what's mm -hmm. your favourite? It's really tough. Um, I like fiction and you're going to ask me to narrow that down a little bit um I really like children's fiction because it's easier in that generally they're smaller jobs like you tend not to have a 80,000 word children's novel but also the subject matter generally even though it's important and it's weighty it's not depressing or um you know difficult to deal with Emotionally, it's not traumatic for the editor to edit children's fiction usually. Yeah. So children's fiction and in the adult world, because I will press you, so, so to speak, in the adult world, yeah. uh, romance novels, science fiction, action adventure, crime mystery? Um, probably I have fallen into a bit of a niche with science fiction. Um, and I'm going to be very honest and say I wasn't reading a whole lot of it before I started editing it. But as I started working on it, I found I really enjoy reading it as well as working on it. So that's um, something. And then probably also romance. It's just light and easy and you know there's going to be a happy ending. And it's just, yeah, it's nice to work on things that um, end well, I guess. So with regards to the process then, you get the manuscript sent to you initially, either by yeah. the likes of us, a hybrid publisher, or a bigger traditional publishing house, or the author directly, but you get that manuscript, which could be, let's say, 50 to 150,000 words. What's yeah. your process? Do you scan read? Do you read the whole thing? Do you come back and go, this isn't for me? Or do you accept every manuscript you're sent? Um, it depends. There's only been a couple that I have turned down for various reasons. Um, if it's really long, I will probably read the first chapter, a middle chapter and the end chapter just to try and get a feel of how it progresses because um, a lot of the time I find manuscripts develop as the writers write them. So, you know, if you start, especially if it's a first novel, the first few chapters can be a little bit clunky because you're just getting into your groove and then by the middle it's a little bit better and then by the end the authors really hit their straps. So um, reading a little section from each gives me an idea of how the story is going and how the editing will go. If it's a shorter one, I might read the whole thing through and just sort of 
usually in the first couple of chapters, I will know whether I really want to or really don't want to do a manuscript. Um, sometimes it's worth reading it all the way through, particularly if it's short, just to reinforce my initial reaction. And when you said about copy editing that you usually do it, probably one of the most common questions we get asked by authors that approach us is, what is editing? Because I think some authors think it's just picking up typography errors, you know, the, the misplaced possessive apostrophe in its or whatever. But there are actually three distinct levels of editing, aren't there? Yeah. So the first level is manuscript development. So developmental editing is the big picture stuff. So this is where your editor is more likely to tell you that this paragraph should have gone, you know, two chapters earlier or the plot line isn't working because of X, Y, Z. You need to change this, you need to change that. So developmental editing is looking at the big picture. It's making sure the story overall makes sense, but it doesn't go into the details so much. Copy editing is a bit more of the details. So it's spelling, it's grammar, but it's also consistency in language, consistency in tone. It looks at things like um, I'll pick up someone is 10 in this chapter and then in the next chapter they're only eight or they've started out at a certain age and X amount of years have passed, but they stay the same age. They don't ever grow or change. So those are the kinds of things you pick up in copy editing. And then proofreading, which is the final final edit. Um, usually, so proofreading traditionally is done on a hard copy after it's been set for typing and it is literally just picking up typos, making sure that the spacing is right, that there's no spelling errors, that there's no real obvious grammatical um, clangers. Um, in the current world, it is digital, I'm finding. So I will do a lot of my proofing before the actual typesetting happens, which means that I am not responsible if there are space errors <laughs> in the final printed product. Um, so I proof electronically and then it goes for typesetting also electronically following that. And that's part of the problem that we've noticed is that back in the Back in the good old days of publishing, when it came from an editor like you, the final step before it went to proof was, and it invariably was, a little old man who individually set the type, hence the reason it's called typesetting, yeah. on blocks for printing. Yeah. And he was actually, probably, the, the biggest picker-upper, if that's a right word, for those typo problems. Yeah. And so then when it went back to the final proof read, 99.9% .9 of errors had been picked up because he was actually picking them up letter by letter. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, even with the best proof editor, little problems will fall through the gaps because of the way the human eye reads. Would that be yeah. a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. So no edit will come back 100% clean. Um, even so when I proofread, for example, I will print out the manuscript and look at it in hard copy so that it's giving my eye something different to look at than what's on the screen. And then I have to go back and um, put my changes into the digital copy. Um, but it's not infallible. I use software to help me pick up as much of the final issues as possible. But even the software is not infallible. Um, so, yeah, there will be little issues that slip through, but uh, one of the other people that I edit for um, 
I had done a proofread and I picked up like a thousand errors or something in this proofread and there was a couple left in the manuscript after I finished, but the accuracy rate was about 98%. So, you know, there are always lots of things to pick up. There are always one or two things that will be missed. And as soon as someone else picks it up and reads it, they'll go, ha, look at that. <laughs> I had an author that said to me, how can we have done all of this? And the first time I saw the printed book on page five was a typo when there had been three sets of editing, yep. 15 beta readers, etc. And I said, well, the first book I brought out, it had been, I, I calculated it, had been read 41 times <laughs> with editors, proofreaders, beta readers, etc. Yeah. And when we got the first proof copy printed as a book, I realized that the rank of the main character, the main character of the whole thing, his rank on the first page was completely wrong. <laughs> and nobody had picked it up and you think oh, oh and then feeling bad for that I mean obviously you can go in and change it and that's the whole point of getting a proof copy of the book printed but I had a copy of a um, Pratchett novel in its eighth edition and it must have been printed tens of thousands of times and on page 67 or whatever there was a typo and I thought yeah. oh and it didn't throw me out of the book. It just caused me to go, oh, look at that. And yeah. I'm, a, I'm sure Terry Pratchett didn't bother too much about it. So it was all good. <laughs> yeah. So what's your favorite bit of the whole process? Um, I think my favorite bit is actually handing the finished product back to the author and having the author read through it and be generally delighted with the final product that they've got. So. I think the, the best part for me is when the author has put so much time and effort and heart into this work and I come along and I make my little changes and they read it back and they go, oh, that is so much better. Thank you so much for that. That's my favourite part. And I know we've sent you authors from Book Reality. I say sent because we electronically connect you up, although we did send you one. Yeah. Yeah. Not my doing, but she happened to be on holiday on yeah. the other side of the on the other side of the country, and you met for yeah. coffee. Uh, so you deal with authors like we're for people that don't get the geography of Australia. You're the equivalent of New York, and I'm living in Los Angeles. If this was the United States, so we're we're fairly distant. Yeah, I'm assuming you deal with authors all over the world. Does that mean that you have to deal with U.S. English and U.K. English and Australian yeah. slang, etc.? Yeah, so um, that's one of the things I make sure at the start of any edit is what language we're using. So it's all English, but not all English is English, right? So it's really key to work out not just where the author is, because just because an author is US-based doesn't mean that they're writing for a US audience. So we need to be clear on who the audience is and what kind of English the author wants to use. Um, that also impacts on conventions, so whether we use single quotation marks or double quotation marks, spaced N dashes, unspaced M dashes, um, all the little little things. Um, it all impacts on the reader in the um, jurisdiction that the book is intended for. So if I send an Australian English convention novel across to the UK, not so much of an issue. If I send it across to the US, there's all kinds of things. and the readers may or may not understand because the conventions are so 
similar yet different. We have had reviews of authors, and in fact I've had reviews on Amazon where someone has told me the book was very good but all the misspellings put me at edge. And I thought, misspellings? And they give examples, you know, they said, you know, the guy can't even spell colour. Yeah. It's like, the guy can spell colour, it's just that my colour's got a U in it and your colour doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So when you get to the end of the manuscript and you send it back in a copy edit, you mentioned there that you use track changes, which is a function of word, which I thought rather presumptively anybody that used Word or wrote with Word or was wanting to be an author would understand. Yeah. How many authors don't understand in your experience? It is a minority. Um, Most authors, if they don't understand, they learn very quickly. Um, There are a few that I've had to educate and that's fine. Like it's, it's not a big deal. That's part of my job as well. The difficulty is when the author is using a word processing uh, system that is not Microsoft Word um, because the changes that I make in Microsoft Word don't always reflect appropriately back in their particular word processing system. So if they're using a different system and they don't understand track changes, that is a recipe for many hours of pain. Is that yeah. the most frustrating thing out of the out of the job if you make changes but they don't actually get them on their software or are there are there other hidden frustrations in the background? Um yeah, probably that's one of the biggest ones because it's really hard to and you know, rookie error, if you don't discuss with each other what the manuscript is coming on or who's using what, you're setting yourself up for disaster. Um, So I have done that once and I will never do it again. But also I think just the other frustrating thing is when you send a manuscript back to authors and it's got changes and they make changes and I always ask my authors to keep track changes on while they're making their changes so that when they send things back to me, I can see what they've done. If they turn the track changes off and send things back it's like reading a whole new manuscript and it's very difficult to realign where I was to where I need to be for the next part if I'm not expecting changes and with regards to authors expectations of editing so we lose um, our model is quite simple we will quote people if we're doing a hybrid model of publishing we will quote people and say here are your expenses cover art interior formatting and layout Editing. Editing is always the biggest cost, always. And we warn people that, you know, before you open this quote, have a seat, have a strong drink at hand because editing is going to be expensive. We lose probably about 50% of authors at that point. Yeah. Because I don't think they get why it's so expensive. So for an average 80,000 word document, how long? is that going to take you to do a copy edit? Um, I will copy edit between three and 4,000 words an hour. You know, 80,000 words, let's say that's 20 hours for a first pass. So I usually do two passes and then a review. So that means I will go through the whole thing 
one time making changes. So let's say that's 20 hours. Then I send it back to the author for the author to work through. Usually I will send some detailed notes with that, um, explaining why I've done things, what I need them to think about, what I would like them to do. They send it back to me and I go through the whole manuscript again. So that's another 20 odd hours. Um, and then I send it back again with another round of final notes for them to go through, fix whatever. Then it comes back to me for a final review and the review is much quicker. Let's say I can do a review in six or seven hours. But that's on a very clean manuscript. You're looking at 27 hours minimum for an 80,000 word manuscript. If it's a bit heavier, it's going to take me much longer. So even with a with a good, well-structured, well-put-out, well-thought-out manuscript, you've got two rounds of 20 hours, a final round of seven hours. Yeah. You're up at almost 50 hours, which is over a week and a half of full-time work. And people come back and go, well, I thought it was going to be a couple of hundred dollars. Well, no, it's not going to be a couple of hundred dollars. Yeah. And as long as they grasp the fact of what they're getting, yeah. uh, then it, it's probably going to be easier in the future. With regards to the final reviews, if you do the copy edit, do you yeah. think you can do the proof or do you recommend that it goes to someone else for the final proof through? This is really tough because it is always better to get someone else to do your final proof. Someone else looking at it is going to give you a much better result because if I've already spent 27 hours, 47 hours on your manuscript, I'm quite close to your manuscript, not as close as the author, obviously, but 47 hours is a long time to invest in something. So I will do a proof if someone wants me to, but generally speaking, I will put several weeks between finishing the copy edit and picking up the proof. I will print the proof and do it manually on a, on a hard copy because it's looking at things on different surfaces, gets your brain to look at things in different ways. And often when I'm proofing, I will read it out loud as I'm proofing. So um, I can do it. I think I do an okay job of it. Um, but for the best result, I would always recommend getting a second editor to do that for you. Fantastic. Alex, listen, thank you very much indeed for taking time out of your beautiful Queensland day to come and talk to us. Um, before we end with our authors, we usually do a series of quick fire questions. Um, yeah. So would you like to do a series of quick fire questions? Oh, let's go. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Right. Alex Kwan, editor extraordinaire. What is your favourite book? Anne of Green Gables. What is your least favourite book, if you have one? Oh, probably Where the Crawdads Sing. Oh, that's interesting. I've had people say that that's their favourite book now. And yeah. some agree with you that they just couldn't get through it at all. Yeah. Interesting. Emotionally or creatively or within your life, what turns you on? Um, really well put together words with that can draw emotion, I think. So if I'm reading something and it can make me see things and feel things, that's what I, I live for. And what turns you off? Oh, things that are really depressing, very high on gore, violence, sex. You know, I just, I don't need that. Just to digress from that, I've also thought, have you ever had a manuscript through that's got um, not not gore or, or adult content, but 
words or phrases that you think aren't suitable for today? Do you have to become a not a censor, but an advisor on those yeah. types of things as well? Absolutely. Um, sensitivity is a huge part of editing. So um, I think it depends on the context of the manuscript. If it's set in an era where particular words and phrases are commonly accepted, then, um, you know, as part of the story for authenticity, maybe it's okay for those phrases to stay. If it's, you know, a, a modern day story, but we're using throwback phrases from 1800s or whatever else that are no longer appropriate or um, ideas that are no longer appropriate, then we'll definitely flag that with the author. And if it's a really, really big kind of thing that the author is not willing to budge on, those are the manuscripts that I'll say, look, I'm sorry, I can't do this for you. It's interesting as well because most of you know the, most of the authors are are very well meaning. They're not meaning to be offensive at all. I know that I got feedback on my one of my university courses that I was doing where I had said the two females walked down the street, mm. and I hadn't seen anything wrong with that phrase, yeah. but my lecturer came back and said, "Would you have put the two males walked down the street, or would you just have put the two men walked down the street?" And I went, two men? He said, well, why aren't they women? Why yeah. are they females? I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, why are they females? And when you get little things like that pointed out to you where you've been looking at something, it's not because you were, it's not because the writer was ever intending to get offense. Okay. It's just that they've not looked at it with the right set of, of eyes. Yeah, yeah. And everyone has some subconscious bias. So even the most self-aware person has their own subconscious bias and that comes out in your writing it comes out in your editing it comes out you know in any form of creative expression that you're going to be using so um, sometimes it can be quite confronting when someone says to you well actually this thing that you thought was totally fine is actually really not you need to think totally about not. it differently yeah. yeah it's not totally you're yeah. not allowed to say that about people nowadays yeah yeah <laughs> Um, and I know we have had, in book reality, when we've had a manuscript sent through that was littered with phrases that we felt were politically incorrect, not mm -hmm. just nowadays, but probably two decades ago, yeah. we have run away from them. Yeah, that's okay, good. Back to the, back to the quickfire, which have yeah. turned out not to be quickfire. Um, <laughs> summer or winter? Summer. On a completely free day to do anything you want to, completely free day, yep. who do you spend it with? Myself. <laughs> Said beautifully from a mother of five. <laughs> <laughs> Mountains or oceans? Hands on the day. What is your favourite movie? Oh, um, probably... Maybe Notting Hill. And have you been to Notting Hill and seen the Blue Door? I have not. I have been to Thailand and Singapore and that, or and New Zealand. That's the extent of my overseas travels. If you come to Perth, by the way, and you go to mm. Queen's Garden, yeah, um, the bench from Notting Hill 
is yeah. in Queen's Gardens in Perth. The actual oh. venue. The actual How long has it been there? Um, yonks, decades, um, since after the movie was made. Not that I knew it was the bench until my wife pointed out to me and went, this is the bench and there's a plaque and everything. One song to listen to for the rest of your life? Time of My Life. By Green Day? No, no, no. I've had the time of my life from um, Dirty Dancing. (laughs) Right. But also the Green Day version is very good, so either or. Who makes you laugh the most? Um, probably my husband. And what smell do you love? Roses. And what smell do you hate? Dirty nappy. <laughs> other than a writer, or sorry, rather, oh, you see, I usually ask this of authors. Other than an editor, yeah. what profession would you like to attempt? Oh, look, if I could do anything with no financial repercussions, um, I would probably run a book cafe or um, learn to be a mechanic. Learn to be a mechanic? Yeah. What type of mechanic? Air- aircraft mechanic or air? No, just a regular car auto mechanic. Um, I used to like tinkering with my dad and now my boys, my eldest boys have cars and they're always working on them and it'd be fun to be able to go out and work with them. Brilliant. And what profession would you not like to do? Childcare. (laughs) Okay, I just reiterate, from the mother of five. (laughs) Very good. I love that answer. That's brilliant. Um, And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to Alex when she arrives? Well done, good and faithful servant. Nice work. Alex, thanks ever so much for taking time out of your day. Really appreciate it and really appreciate all your editing help that you give to Book Reality. Thanks, Ian. It's been lovely to be chatting with you. No worries. Hey, thanks for listening to this latest episode of Book Realities, our interviews with author series. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and turn your notifications on so that you never miss any content updates from us. If you liked this episode, leave us a rating or a review as it really helps the podcast's visibility as does passing the pod on to any writers or author friends that you may have who you know will be interested in it. And join our exclusive mailing list at www.bookreality.com. The next episode will be released this time next week, but until then, stay safe and well. All the best.